Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 17 of the True Crime Couple podcast. We want to, before we start the episode, thank everyone for the outpouring of iTunes reviews. It helps us actually get up on the charts, which was really exciting. I love it. It's great, guys. Thank you. And we want to thank our new Patreon supporters, who we'll be thanking at the end of the episode by name. And without any further ado, we'll get into the case we're covering today. Today we are covering the baffling case of the deaths at Spreckles Mansion in California. And it's one that made me really get into the whole true crime genre to even start with. It was the first kind of podcast I listened to about anything true crimey. So this is the OG yeah. for Kay's... Uh, Obsession, I guess. Um, Since its occurrence in 2011, people across the United States got caught up in the speculation. And it's pretty hard not to. You'll realize once we get started with the details of these cases, because there's two of them. I'm excited. When you ask a question, in this case, your response tends to just generate two more questions. So let's get into it, because it's definitely going to be a long episode. And before we get started... Like we've done before in the past, we do want to warn you that this episode will be graphic, and it's definitely not intended for the younger listeners out it's there. It's definitely not for virgin ears. I don't think that's the way. No, is that not how it's used? Probably not. Right, I'm probably going to get shit for it, whatever. Okay. All, right. All right, let's get into the episode. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Okay, so we're going to do today's episode kind of like we did the Jeffrey McDonald episode. And that means that John really has no clue about this case whatsoever. No, none. So he's going to kind of learn about it as it's unraveling like some of you may be i mean i'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this case that we're going to be talking about the deaths of max shacknai and rebecca zahow but a lot of people won't be so john's gonna be right there with you guys today yeah you know a uh, quick story i tried to peek in on her research and <laughs> she basically shut the door on me <laughs> you well I mean, it's no surprise that I'm the one that does a little bit more of the research, but sometimes John reads my research notes. I do. I do read your research notes. But watch I was watch not some allowed... documentaries every once in a Absolutely. while. Absolutely, but I was not allowed to even look at this one, so. Well, I mean, everyone seemed to really like the way that the Jeffy McDonald episode went down, so I figured let's try to do another one like it. Sure. All right, ready? Ready. Rebecca Zahow was born on March 15, 1979. She came to America at the age of 22 from the Chin State in Northwest Burma with her large family. Prior to living in the United States, Rebecca did live briefly in Nepal and Germany. Her family states that the Zahow family were very religious. 
and still are, practicing the Protestant faith. Some of her family remained in Germany, and of the members that came to the United States with Rebecca, most of them reside in St. Joseph, Missouri. After years of being in the country, Rebecca is going to marry someone named Neil Nalepa of Scottsdale, Arizona. At the time, she was 23 and he was 36. She moves with her husband to his hometown, and this is how Rebecca winds up in Arizona. During this time, Rebecca works as an ophthalmic technician. Rebecca and Neil separate in late 2007, and the reason for this is unknown, but the couple seems to keep in contact a lot. They don't get a formal divorce until February of 2011, which is actually the year the incident takes place. It is in 2008 that she begins dating Jonah Shacknai, and he is a 54-year-old CEO of a pharmaceutical company. So it seems like she kind of has an M.O. of dating older older men there. I see that. There's nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, date, I date younger men, so... You do. That's you. That's me right yeah. here. Just two years. I'm not weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is shortly after this that Rebecca has a run-in with law enforcement. So I thought this was a weird and kind of interesting part of the whole story because... Everything we learn about Rebecca from this point on seems to contradict the fact that this even happened in her life. Um, She basically stole about $1,000 worth of jewelry from a Macy's um, in like a mall complex. And she ends up getting um, some, and she has to do some community service, but it just seems the complete opposite of everything else that kind of happens in her life. She seems to be. That's weird. Serial shoplifter. I get it. It is a rush, I guess. There was a time I stole a candy bar from a CVS, and it was exhilarating. Out of when anybody I, was... <laughs> I know, see, this is what's funny. Out of anyone I know, you would be the one to steal candy bars. I know. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I got caught, and the officer that responded was actually my softball coach. I was like in seventh grade. It was so embarrassing. So, all right. Well, we're all happy that we've closed that chapter <laughs> yes. in your life. It's. I'm not very good at stealing things, so I mean that was. I was like, well, can't be a criminal now. <laughs> okay, so besides that run-in with law enforcement, um, Rebecca doesn't have any other incidents to talk of that would have to do with um, being arrested or any shady activity. In December of 2010, she's encouraged by Jonah to quit her job and live full time with him. Now it seems like. A lot of rich people from Arizona do this, from what I read online, that they live during the year in Arizona, but then they spend the summer months in, like, Southern California, where it's a little bit cooler because they're, like, by the beach. Right, right. So from Memorial Day to Labor Day, they live on Coronado Island in California, where this incident takes place, both incidents. And the other months of the year, they live in Arizona. Hey, shout out to any rich people listening to us. I would love to know if this is actually true or not. Well, it seems true because it gets really hot in Arizona, so they need that And very cold at nighttime. Air. Oh, really? I'm sure That's we get really cold at nighttime. Yeah. Well, this all sounds kind of uh, fairytale-esque, right? I mean, she oh, yeah. comes... At this point, she's 30 years old, so she's only been in the country for eight years. She married someone, got divorced. She did have a really pretty solid career, but now she kind of met this... Uh, guy who seems to be infatuated with her wants her to quit her job and he was really really supersonic rich 
So let's talk a little bit about Jonah Shacknai and kind of how he got to where he was in his position at this point. So Jonah Shacknai obviously is a lot older than Rebecca. When they meet, she is 30 and he is 54. Shacknai, who hails from Suffern, New York. Ooh. Yeah, interesting. It always seems to like rope back here. <laughs> um, he now lives in Arizona and he is a CEO of Medici's Pharmaceutical. Now that's um, how I'm kind of assuming that it's pronounced. So if it's not, I'm really sorry. In 2010, he was Arizona's ninth highest paid CEO, making $6.4 million that year. He founded this company in 1988, and he chose the name of the company based on the ruthless Medici family from the Renaissance. That's why I wasn't sure if I pronounced it right, because I'm not sure how he intended it to be pronounced, but it was named after the Medici family. That's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting that he would kind of choose that whole ruthless, money-hungry, like, powerful force that was the Medici family to be the name of his company. I think it kind of shows his uh, desire yeah. to succeed and be wealthy. Yeah, he's definitely... And show I mean, power. Like he's a very driven man. I mean, I mean, from all... I mean, I'm guessing from all accounts, yeah. Yeah. Um, the company is known for its Botox alternative, Restylin. Hmm. And uh, something called liposonics, which is an alternative to invasive liposuction procedures. So it seems like they kind of stayed in the dermatology field of pharmaceuticals, which obviously um, rich neighborhoods of Arizona and Southern California, that's going to be extremely profitable. People pay for that. Oh, yes. Shaq and I had been married twice before meeting Rebecca. His first marriage ended in divorce and a bitter custody battle over the couple's two children in 2001. That divorce settlement took three years to settle. But, you know, divorce settlements, they could take uh, two days or seven years. Yeah. It can get complicated, especially when there's children involved. Definitely. And at the time, they were young children. Jonah Shacknai then gets married again to Dina Romano. And together, they have a son named Maxfield Aaron Shacknai. And he is born on June 7, 2005. Jonah's second marriage, however, is not a happy one. The couple's relationship was plagued by claims of domestic violence, and the two eventually agree to separate. However, the two remain civil and close for the sake of their son. So when Jonah decided that he wanted to start spending the entire summers in Coronado Island, and then the rest of the year in Arizona, Dina is going to move there as well so custody could be shared more easily. In fact, Dina moves down the street from... down the the street. Yeah. (laughs) So they live in the same town in Arizona, but then on Coronado Island, she lives down the street. Okay. I mean, I guess it's if they have a civil relationship and it's for the good of their son, I think that makes sense, but I know that it caused a lot of tension between Dina and Rebecca. I mean, I can understand why. I can understand. <laughs> I can yeah. totally understand why. I can understand why it's her ex-husband's new, newer model, a lot younger, very beautiful. So it it adds to complications, especially when Rebecca is left caring for Max. Right. And there's one incident in particular where Dina gets upset because Rebecca was the one who drives Max by herself from Arizona to Coronado Island, and she requests that Jonah never let her do that again. So she does feel uncomfortable with the woman 
caring for her son, whether that be from more of a jealous factor or a motherly concerned factor, we don't know. We're not too clear. Or both. Or both. I mean, I think it's hard to not be jealous. I don't see how I wouldn't be. Right. And annoyed like you're now taking care of my son. So for whatever reason makes sense, Dina lives down the street from Jonah Shackney's massive mansion. And this is another reason why this case is pretty fascinating is he lives in the Spreckles Mansion. This 19,000 square foot lot at 1043 Ocean Boulevard includes the house that John D. Spreckles built in 1908 and the guest house that his son Klaus built in 1928 and also two units that exist above the garage. Now, Spreckles is a famous San Francisco sugar refinery tycoon, and he built this as his vacation home as well because he mainly stayed in San Francisco. So this is where he was at the beach because the house is, if you go on Google Maps, which is actually pretty interesting because on Google Maps, when you do like the look around, everyone's cars stop to look at the house and people that are walking by are all staring at the house. That's really funny. Because it's so infamous what happened there but when you look directly across the street it's right like just beach and ocean so it's beachfront so it's like beachfront property in arizona kind of like the country no no no, john this is in california oh okay never mind okay okay he wanted beachfront property so he left arizona gotcha because it's ironic in the song i i I get it okay (laughs) so anyway The actual living space that exists within the house is 10,500 square feet, and it includes 10 bedrooms, 11 bathrooms, and a four-car garage and a 1,000-square-foot basement. Uh, Jonah's going to buy this house in 2007 for $12.75 million. Wow. Yeah. After the incident takes place, he sells the house for $9 million. I guess just the memories that took place in the house. He wants to just completely forget. But actually, it currently is on the market, and they just um, raised the price another million dollars because it seems to be a little bit in high demand, not just for what happened there, but also because it's beachfront property. Well, it's crazy that you would even need 11 bathrooms. No, or 10 (laughs) bedrooms. Uh, I mean, mean, at that point, it could be like a hotel, like... It basically is. Yeah. Um, Spreckles. Now, this does sometimes get confused with the other Spreckles Mansion, which is located in San Francisco, which is actually now currently the home of author Danielle Steele. Ooh, interesting. So there's another Spreckles Mansion, but this was the vacation home of John Spreckles. Who um, Originally, he was kind of, uh, he ran a brewery, but then he got into the sugar business especially like getting sugar from Hawaii and refining it in California. That's what he did. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So now the scene is set. It's 2011. Jonah and his girlfriend, Rebecca, live at the Spreckles Mansion, and his ex-wife with their six-year-old child lived down the street. But custody was kind of, I guess the best way to describe it is it was fluid between the two houses. So it was kind of just like where Max wanted to be, very back and forth. There wasn't like a set custody agreement like these days he's at Jonah's house, those days he's at Dina's house. Right. His children that live out of state visit all the time. They live back east with their mother. Maybe he's originally from New York, so so I'm assuming somewhere on the east coast probably. And Rebecca's sister, she has three sisters, 
are going to visit all the time. So two of her sisters live in Missouri with the rest of her family and another sister um, lives in Germany still. Things are complicated and something that I found really weird when researching the case and the relationship between Jonah and Rebecca and this like the social situations at Sparkle's Mansion was the fact that there was always a guest in the house. Like, always. Hmm. Either her sisters were visiting, or her friends were over, or his friends were over, or his brother, or... It was just very weird. Like, it kind of was like a hotel. Hmm. But I mean, That's I, interesting. I guess that makes sense, because you got a 10-bedroom house. What are you going to do with two people <laughs> exactly. living in it? Yeah, like, I mean, you're probably going to, like, host... Maybe even if they had, like, they little events. They hosted a lot. Yeah. Maybe you had, like, maybe one or two people staying the night, because you have the room to accommodate them, so... That's true. I can see that. I mean, it seems like as soon as they drive one person to the airport, they're picking another person up. Yeah, but that could be also based on her family. It is also the summer, so I'm, I mean, I guess it makes sense. I'm just... I'm a very homebody kind of, I like my own space, so I found it weird, but it might be normal for people who entertain all the time. Yeah. So the date that this all began was July 11th, 2011. Jonah had just dropped off his two children from his previous marriage, Ethan and Gabby, off at the airport to return back east where their mother lived. But he's going to, he's not going to go right home. He's going to stop at the gym to get in a quick workout. At the mansion where Rebecca, her visiting 13-year-old sister named Xena, Xena Warrior Princess. Used to love that show for some reason back in the day. You, well, I used to watch it with my grandma, so like, I mean, you got to, you know, be cool with that. I was, you know, my grandma would watch Xena Warrior Princess, so I'd just join her. You liked Xena. Yeah, she was cool. Little... What was her name? Lucy? I forget what the other sidekick was, yeah. but whatever. It no, doesn't matter. No, Zena's name was Lucy something. I don't know. Her All I remember is that they had I like I liked a, the sidekick more than I liked her. I agree, but I also remember that they had the Hercules and the Xena crossover show as well. That was cool. Anyway. You don't have to say Hercules like that. <laughs> I can't help it. All right, but go ahead. Okay. So, back at the mansion were Rebecca, her 13-year-old sister, Zena... And Max Shacknai, who had recently just turned six years old. Jonah, still at the gym, gets a frantic and incoherent phone call from Rebecca. He can make out only that Max had an accident and Zena was on the phone with 911. He rushed home to better understand what happened with his son. According to Rebecca, she was in the downstairs bathroom and her sister was upstairs showering and getting ready when she heard a loud crash or her dog bark. She couldn't remember which one it was that like kind of made her go out and check what was happening. She came out to see what the noise was and she found Max at the bottom of a staircase. The chandelier had fallen down from the ceiling and the boy's razor scooter was laying across his legs. There was also reports that soccer balls were around, but they didn't have anything to do with the fall. That's where they were placed. It could never be determined if he fell with the chandelier or the chandelier fell fell after and then on top of him so they don't know how it went down i would just say i would my question is well you're gonna have lots of questions well i was just thinking i mean could the kid grab the chandelier i mean i know he's six years old we're gonna go over everything the way that i'm planning on doing this is laying out the whole scenario and then going back into max's incident and then going back into rebecca's incident Because it's hard to discuss one without the other. Gotcha. 
So Max is found at the bottom of the stairs, basically like in the foyer area, and it appeared that Max fell over the second floor banister. And somehow he took down the chandelier, hit the railing of the descending staircase, causing him to suffer injuries to his face, back of his head, back, and spinal cord, and then he crashes to the floor. That's kind of horrific. Yeah. Wow. Zena was on the phone with the 911 operator and was just as hysterical as her sister. She apparently had trouble giving out the address of the house because obviously she's not a resident, so... Like, I don't even know the address of my sister's house, actually, which is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) However, a police officer was in the area, and this is pretty incredible. Zena's going to place the call at 1010, and the officer arrives at 1012. So within two minutes, there's a responding officer, and he is able to give first responders the correct address. Rebecca says when she ran to Max prior to him becoming unconscious... She heard Max say the word ocean. And ocean is the name of her dog. Okay. So that's going to lead a lot of people to think that somehow maybe the dog was involved in the, in the accident. This was a medium-sized dog, so some people assume and will make the claim that maybe he was standing on the dog or maybe he was... And that's how he fell over. Or he tripped yeah. over the dog or something like that. But we'll get into... The possibilities, I think it's important later we'll explain what the staircase looks like and then that makes the possibilities become real and not real. So the ambulance and the EMTs arrive shortly after this and they perform CPR for a good amount of time from 15 to 20 minutes. When the officer first got to the scene, he said that Rebecca was kneeling next to Max's body in a state of shock, screaming his name. Jonah is going to arrive just as Max is being taken into an ambulance. The boy, not breathing and unresponsive, was eventually taken to Rady's Children's Hospital, which is in Solana Beach, which is about 27 miles from the Coronado Mansion. So a lot of people will ask why Jonah doesn't return home. He doesn't want to leave because it's such a long drive down the coast to get back to his house from the from the child's hospital where his son is staying. Zena is going to make the claim that during the EMT's checking of Max's body that Rebecca is going to turn to her and say, Dina is going to kill me. And an EMT also reports hearing this as well. So that is corroborated that Rebecca does say that. Once at the hospital, Dina is called by Jonah. He informs her that Max had fallen down the stairs and that the doctors were suggesting that he might have had a heart attack. So upon arrival to the hospital, separately, of course, Jonah and Dina had both been tested for long QT syndrome, which is a, it's a hereditary heart rhythm condition that could give seizures to children, um, particularly young children. So they were thinking maybe like something happened that caused him to fall. Like maybe it was an accident. Maybe he had a seizure. Okay. Um, both parents tested negative for the syndrome, however, and um, to help healing and to run tests, and because of the amount of trauma and brain damage done, Max is going to be placed in a medically induced coma. That's very sad. Yeah. Dina and Jonah stay at the hospital with Max. Rebecca does also go to the hospital, however, 
throughout the day. So I think she makes actually two visits to the hospital on the day that Max is admitted. But on July 12th, she kind of has the job of of being a taxi. She's going to drive her sister Zena to the airport so she can return home to Missouri. She had only come on the 10th, but because of the accident that took place, she said it's probably best that you return to Missouri. So her sister goes back and that day she's going to pick up two more guests. The first people that she picks up are Nina, who is Dina's twin sister. That's really yes. funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think they planned that for sure. Oh, you think so? Yeah, yeah I do. Probably. I do. <laughs> Nina is Dina's twin sister, like I said, and her teenage son is also going to accompany her on this trip. And Nina's going to be staying with Dina at her house on Coronado Island. Uh, Later on that day, she also picks up Jonah's brother, Adam, from the airport. And he had come in from Tennessee. Nina recalls that Rebecca was acting a little strangely when she picked her up. She embraced her and put her head on her shoulder and said, I am so glad to see you here. And this is a little strange because Nina's sister, Dina, has a very strained relationship with Rebecca. So, I I mean, I don't think that it's weird. I think that that's just Rebecca saying that she's glad that Dina has her sister here to support her. Yeah, I do too. I think that was read into a little bit too much. But I think at first, Dina's family is very suspicious of Rebecca. So that's probably where that's coming from. Definitely. Jonah did not return to the mansion on the night of the 11th or 12th. He was staying in a Ronald McDonald house on the grounds of the hospital, so it's set up for family members who live far away but need a place to stay overnight. He wanted to stay near in case, obviously, Max's condition changed. However, to meet his brother, uh, Jonah's going to leave Max's bedside um, just shortly enough to eat dinner at a restaurant called The Fish Market, and Rebecca's going to join the two brothers. But it's stated that at that dinner, she was silent for most of the time and that she is going to eat very little. So she seems upset, but she's still going out to dinner. She still drove to the airport three times, which is sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, really. Definitely would not do that. But she seems to be upset, but a healthy amount of upset, if that makes sense, without being insensitive. Definitely. I mean, Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm sure you feel, I'm sure she felt, um, you know, extreme guilt, you know? Yeah, I'm sure she felt guilt too because she was, Max was in her care. Yeah, exactly. So Adam is Jonah's younger brother and he is 48 years old and he's a tugboat captain in Nashville, Tennessee. He was described as an intelligent man who was into writing in his career, but he was very different than his brother. I mean, a CEO... Tugboat captain. captain. Little two different paths in life. After dinner, Jonah returned to the hospital. Adam and Rebecca returned to the mansion. And Adam was staying in the sprawling guest house, which is literally four times the size of our apartment. (laughs) And Rebecca was staying alone in the 27-bedroom mansion. Now, she was completely alone because earlier that day, she had actually brought in her dog to the kennel to stay for the time being because they were going to be shuttling back and forth to the hospital. So it would be hard to care for a dog, and she didn't want to leave him alone. Yeah, yeah so there I was a, that. there was a kennel that she trusted that they would leave the dog out when they went on vacation. So that means she was completely alone in the house. Adam claims that he spoke to Rebecca before going to the guest house. 
He told her that if she needed to talk, she could always talk to him. He said something along the lines of, I know something about grief, referring to the passing of his mother. He stated that he felt sorry for Rebecca at that time. He then claims that he told her goodnight, he called his girlfriend, took an Ambien, and went to bed around 8 p.m. Okay, so that's Adam's timeline. The next morning, he's going to wake up. And realizing that there was no coffee in the guest house, he began the short walk across the backyard to reach the main house. It was then that he noticed the body of Rebecca Zahau, naked, a t-shirt wrapped around her head, gagging her mouth, hands and feet tied together, hanging from a red rope from the balcony of a second-story guest room. Adam placed a call to 911 at 6.48 a.m. He, much like Zena, only two days before, had trouble explaining to the 911 operator where to go. So, in this 911 call, he is going to basically spend, it's a four-minute 911 call, I would say three hours and 45 seconds of it is him running around trying to figure out what the address is. You mean three minutes. Oh, yeah, three minutes. Sorry, did I say three hours? You said three hours. Sounded like, it felt like three hours when I was listening to it. (laughs) I'm like, what is happening? Very impersonal, I felt. He said, oh, we have a girl hanging from the balcony. I think she's dead. And he said, can't you just remember where the ambulance was sent yesterday? Because he couldn't remember the address of the house. Right. But the problem was the ambulance was sent there two days prior. So when the 911 operator was looking up where were ambulances sent yesterday, she said, we don't have any ambulances going to Boulevard, uh, Ocean Boulevard in Coronado Island. So that's why they couldn't figure it out. But eventually he's going to run around the house, look for um, like pieces of mail that say something because the guest house has a different number on it than the actual house. Okay, that's what you're saying. So that's why he couldn't figure it out. So he had to run around the estate, which is pretty big. He, unfortunately, for whatever reason, we can speculate later, maybe he thought she was still alive, which is highly, highly doubtful that he thought she was still alive. Um, Or maybe he wanted to destroy evidence. I don't know. Adam Shackney is going to get a knife and a small table, and he stands on it to cut Rebecca down. He removes the gag around her mouth which is a, a long sleeve Massimo t-shirt. Oh, Massimo man. coming in. See, even rich people shop at Target. Oh, I never... I mean, look, Massimo is great. Yeah. It really is. No, I'm just saying. It's a really good shirt company. So the long sleeve Massimo shirt is... The gag's removed from her mouth. So it's a long sleeve t-shirt that was tied together at the... Well, the both sleeves were wrapped around her head several times and then tied into a double knot and put in her mouth. Hmm. Okay, so he loosens that. Then he loosens the ties on her hands as well. And he begins to administer CPR, despite the fact that rigor mortis has already set in. Hmm. Interesting, right? Very strange. Yeah. After the police finally arrive, Adam, he's going to call Jonah, who is... This really annoyed me. So this is going to piss me off now. So Adam calls Jonah, who's with Dina at the bedside of their son, and Jonah left the room, and according to Dina, when he returned, he told her that Rebecca had killed herself. And then he mimicked stabbing himself in the stomach. And when Dina asked Jonah why, he he responded by saying, Asian honor. Hmm. So... 
Okay. That's strange. Oh, what wait. a strange thing to say, though. How? What a strange way to react yeah. to your girlfriend of two years. Hmm. If, at this point, he says he thinks in his mind that his girlfriend did commit suicide. That's the way you react to finding out? Very strange. Right? I mean, it's not even like one of those cases where, oh, people, you know, handle things differently. This is like, no matter what, you wouldn't be mimicking and, and making gestures to, uh, what do you call that? Okay. What is that? So what do they? What do they used to do? Uh, that's the samurai. That's the that samurai. The sapopo, right? That's what I'm thinking. What I'm. What I wrote in my notes is that's the Japanese, you ignorant fuck. Like that's literally what I yeah, wrote in like, my notes. Yeah, it's not all the same. That's what the hell? not people from Burma. Like he just has no understanding of Asian culture. Period. I guess. And that what one percent of Asian population did that in the past, and that's what he thinks she did. She stabbed herself in the stomach with a sword because she Stupid. lost. It's so dumb. It's so ignorant of him, and it's very insensitive. It is. And I was surprised because people had said that Jonah was talking about marrying Rebecca. That's a woman that you wanted to marry, and that's how you reacted to the fact that she may have committed suicide? Yeah, but I don't put any... um... Like, I don't put any, it doesn't make it any more credible or, uh, uh, you know, be, only because, the reason why I say that is because this dude was married fucking three times or getting ready to be married three times. That's true. I mean, uh, hey, buddy, if it doesn't work two times, you probably shouldn't shoot for three. I mean, like. Yeah. Like. I mean, I understand he was under complete stress, like, stress with the fact that his son's in the hospital, but to show no compassion for the fact that the woman you've lived with for two years is dead very strange it was a it was a bizarre reaction i thought um jonah even went as far as telling police as soon as they arrived at the hospital to question him that she comes from true asian descent they just don't look at things different they just look at things differently in terms of responsibility what the fuck does that mean what does it mean and if you are concerned about her why didn't you have her stay with you at the hospital or do you know what i mean like it's just very strange yeah, his response just, yeah. it's very fishy to me. He also was very, very quick to make sure that investigators knew that Rebecca's ex-husband was always trying to constantly contact her and that she has a few obsessive exes. And he does also say that Dina, his ex-wife, is not a fan of Rebecca. So it's kind of weird that the second the police come and start asking him questions, he's throwing everyone he possibly can under the bus. To get people off another trail. Yeah. And before police are going to finally leave the hospital room, he his final question to them isn't about Rebecca, but it's, um, do I need protection? So it's, a, it's an interesting response, I thought. But back at the mansion, the police were investigating the death of Rebecca as a homicide due to the bizarre nature in which she was found. In addition to the strange circumstances in which Rebecca's body was found in the guest room, the room from which the hanging rope originated, they found the other end of the rope tied around a bed. Based on the impressions in the carpet, um, it seemed that the force of Rebecca's body dropping moved the bed about seven to eight inches. And they knew this um, because of the impressions in the carpet. Right. And just for the rest of our audience to know, I'm, I'm, I don't know this for a fact, but I mean, this, their furniture wasn't like, you know, Bob's discount furniture. It was uh, yeah, probably the, the, very heavy. The bed weighed 300 pounds. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's and probably Rebecca like, weighs 100. Right. So just to make people understand that, it wasn't like 
cheap stuff. It was definitely heavy furniture. Yeah. Her, we have a Bob's bed. I know we have a Bob's bed. <laughs> like, you just call I, that. I, I like Bob's bed, but like, okay. you know. Anyway. <laughs> Police also found knives, black paint, brushes, and a cryptic message painted on the door about five feet and nine inches from the floor. Now, this message that was painted on the door to get into the bedroom said, She saved him. Can you save her? Wow. Hmm. That's weird, right? Was You said it was painted on the door? In black paint. Now, Rebecca was a painter. So she did have, like, the paint and the brush used to write the message were hers. Okay. She did purchase it. A receipt for them were found in her car. The police believe that this explained why black paint was found on Rebecca's chest area. Um, in particular, um, it'll later be released that one of her nipples was kind of covered completely almost in paint but what's bizarre is that Rebecca's extremely short so to write the message where it was on the door it would be well over her head so she would have to write in big block letters well above her head very weird it doesn't make sense yeah now what did you have, did you have I, I'm just I'm at guys I'm actually looking at an actual picture of the writing and I don't know. Maybe I... It was hard. They couldn't do um, testing to see handwriting because of the fact that it was in paint, in black, in block letters. You know, when I look at it, I don't see a female's, like... Handwriting. Handwriting. That's what investigators are going to say as well. They said it definitely seems like, even though it is block lettering, and it's hard to determine that it was from a male. Because, I'm. It, let's face it. Guys, we all know we're very sloppy. Our penmanship sucks. We all know it. But a female to like this doesn't look like a female's penmanship. You know, it just doesn't. It, um, we'll put a picture up on our Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, there's gonna Definitely. be a lot of pictures because but, there's uh, a lot of stuff we're gonna be explaining. But you kind of have to see it to know what we're talking about. Yeah, let us know what you think because this definitely does not look to me like you know male handwriting. So, unfortunately, like many cases we cover, the police did not make the best choices in investigating the scene. Rebecca's naked body was left on the ground where she had been cut down by Adam Shackney. That is where she remained for hours, uncovered, while police investigated the scene in the California sun. During that time, a neighbor was allowing photographers from a local news affiliate to stand on his second-story balcony where you could clearly see the victim's body in the yard of the Spreckles Mansion. A local news helicopter is also going to take video footage of the crime scene and the body laying naked in the grass. So they didn't even cover her body. That's that's terrible. Yeah. What were they thinking? Seriously. I really don't know what they were thinking. It wouldn't have disturbed anything to cover the body more than it already was disturbed by the fact that Adam took her down. and I took her yeah. down administered CPR, took the gag off, loosened the rope. The police also never retrieved samples of a clear liquid glass that was located in the guest house or took evidence into evidence of the fact that there were a pair of women's panties in a wastebasket in the guest house. Um, that kind of gets explained away because Rebecca had a, a kind of, um, I guess you can explain it as like a sleepover with her friends who stayed in the guest house because the room Adam stayed in was different. There was two bedrooms in the guest house. Right. The one that Adam stayed in had nothing, but the other one 
had women's clothing, makeup wipes, underwear in the in the like wastebasket. So it seemed like the other bedroom was used by somebody else. So and and that's where the clear liquid was. Do you found. mean the laundry basket? No, no, no. Like uh, the like someone threw out a pair of underwear. Oh, okay. Okay. You know. No, I just want to make sure. I wasn't sure if you meant oh, well, an actual think, garbage. Yeah. No, a garbage bag. Okay. A garbage can or gotcha. whatever. Like a little one that's in a bathroom kind of thing. Okay. So as the media frenzied around the mansion and the death of Rebecca Zahau, it was barely covered um, that the Shackney family suffered a devastating blow two days later when Max Shackney is pronounced dead on July 16, 2011. He'd only been six years old for a little over a month, and before leaving the hospital, a doctor reached out to Dina and told her that it seemed to him that Max had more trauma than originally believed and that there may be evidence that he was suffocated. The San Diego medical examiner ruled his death to be an accident and stated that the boy died from trauma and brain injuries that were irreversible. Well, it's really sad. It's sad, but it puts another weird twist on this whole... It's another layer to this mystery, for sure. Um, Due to all the speculation surrounding the cases, the San Diego County Sheriff, uh, Bill Gore, held a media briefing to announce the findings of the investigation, both for Max and for Rebecca. They reiterated that Max's death was the result of a tragic accident and that the boy had fallen while racing down the second floor hallway on his Razor scooter when he tripped or fell over the railing bringing the chandelier down with him. The additional trauma the boy sustained came from hitting the railing before hitting the floor in the foyer of the house. Next, he turned his attention to the case of Rebecca. Gore claimed that Rebecca bound and gagged herself and even presented a woman doing the same. So it's going to be really interesting. The sheriff's office has a woman who is about... Rebecca's size, um, a little over five feet tall, 100 pounds, and they have her binding her wrists. And the way it looks is, you know, it's a very complicated knot that is used to tie her hands, to tie her feet, and to make a noose. It's very complicated. Yep. So they're showing the tying of the knot, which really is just kind of overlapping between both hands and she loosens the knot while the tying is being done in front of her body and then she puts her hands behind her back slips her other hand back in and tightens the knot so they're claiming this is what Rebecca did now it was done pretty quickly but remember this is someone who knows how to do this and had practiced it right what's interesting and what's going to come out a little bit later um, I don't want to give too much away, but a news affiliate is going to do the same thing. But they're going to use someone who's not practiced it before, and they're going to actually go through the entire scenario. So we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. But the two don't add up quite well to the video that the sheriff's department's going to send out there. He also noted that they were not able to complete handwriting analysis because the painted letters were block letters and that they deemed the message written on the door a suicide note. 
He said it is unusual that someone is going to um, bind themselves during suicide, but it's not unheard of. It does happen because obviously there's um, kind of a will to live. And sometimes people will bind themselves to kind of stop that reaction of trying to hold on to the rope. But it's very rare that it happens. In most cases, people who commit suicide by hanging usually also drink alcohol or take pills. So that will or that ability to fight isn't there as much. Right. It's rare that there's a binding. Very strange. Yeah. So obviously this is not where the story ends because the whole country is fueled by the media and everyone was up in arms about not just one, but these two mysterious deaths. Maybe, just maybe, you'd be able to say there was a freak accident and a one in one billion chance that Max Shackney fell in a particular way that led to his death. However, pair that with the most bizarre suicide of all time and investigation discovery should just start writing the script for their newest episode of Behind Mansion Walls, right? <laughs> I yeah. mean, this is, it's, it's like a movie producer couldn't even come up with something like this. I, I, all I'm going to say is I, I could see how in bizarre circumstances how the child could have fallen to his death. Absolutely. Yeah. I can see that. Maybe there's things that were missing, but I can see that. You know, here's this kid. I'm sure he's on his scooter in the in a in your mansion, just fucking pushing that shit along. I, you know, that's crazy enough that you're using your scooter in the yeah. house. But anyway, he's playing. Maybe he's being a little adventurous. Maybe the you know, like you mentioned, the dog maybe had a part in it. There's so many different circumstances, but I can see it being an accident that the child fell to his death. Correct. And the doctor saying that he was suffocated, well, you know, that's just one doctor's opinion. He also sustained heavy trauma. I mean, look what the hell happened, if it did happen, you know what I mean? Yeah. If it was an accident. So, with the kid, I can see. With her, I can't. But Right, and then the combination of the two together makes it like, what is happening it's weird here? timing. Yes. But anyway, go ahead. So, at the heart of this case, we have two deaths. And we have only scratched the surface of the strange facts and inconsistencies. But let's take them on one at a time. So first, the death of Max Shackney. Before we get further into the accident, as the police call it, um, let's go over the scene. So when I first heard of this case, kind of like you just explained it, um, and I was told about the six-year-old's injuries, I thought of this elaborate staircase at the entrance of a foyer, you know, like the ones where, like, you have to actually choose, like, which one to go up. Like, yeah. there's the two entrances to the stairways. Um, and I thought of, like, the floor being, like, this marble floor, the chandelier being, like, outstretched a little bit. But this isn't the setup at all. Actually, I plan on posting a picture of the staircase before the episode's released so you can refer to it while we're listening. Because the way I was picturing it in my mind, um, if he had to take down the chandelier, he would have had to, like, leap over the banister to reach it. But that's not the way the staircase was set up. Um, we're talking about a small staircase here. It's kind of like a... This is not a very technical way to put it, but it's like a spiral staircase without the spiral. 
You know what I mean? Like there's a flight of stairs, a landing, a flight of stairs. So you mean with no banister? No, like it's not, it's more square-like in the way it's set up. It's not. Oh, I understand. So it's yeah. like a spiral staircase, but it's Without blocked. the spiral. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you see what I I'm get saying? it. I see what you're saying. Okay, so the best I could describe it here is that there's an upstairs hallway with a banister that overlooks the whole staircase. And as you approach the staircase, there are 10 stairs going down to a large rectangular landing and then another 10 stairs going down parallel to the other staircase. It's kind of like, you know, all those movies where there's like chase down the staircase and someone looks down. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. (laughs) And at the center of the staircase, directly in front of the landing is a low hanging chandelier. So if someone were to go over the banister whether it be the one overlooking or the one at the first level of staircase, there is, with without a doubt, they would take down the chandelier. Okay? Right. So the police are claiming that Max was racing down the hallway with his Razor scooter, which is probably the worst children's toy ever, because not only is it dangerous to ride, if you hit one rock, you're done for. And it's also, like, just dangerous to... It's just a metal object. That's there to swing around and hit you. Um, and he couldn't stop. And hold on. I showed John a picture of the staircase and he's very distracted. Are you listening? I am, I am totally listening. I'm sorry. Guys, when you see the picture of the staircase, you're going to see that it's possible. It's very possible. But anyway, continue, Kit. Yeah, I made a comment about Razor Scooters. You didn't even respond. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kit. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. So he was riding his Razor Scooter. This is what police claim. Right was going down the hallway, couldn't stop himself, and is going to topple over the banister. Fall down, take the chandelier, hit the, the banister of the other staircase, and fall to the bottom of the stairs, which is like the foyer. And it seems plausible, right? Absolutely, especially by looking at the picture. Right. Ex- uh, once you get a mental... You know, when you, you know, because your mental picture, and then when you actually see a picture of the real thing, you can see how, okay, I thought it was possible. Okay, well, now it's really possible. Okay. But what, what? There's one fact that's going to make this never happen. Okay. Look at the floor. What's all over it? The floor. Is that, I mean, there's carpet on the stairs, there's thick. Thick carpet, high pile carpet, all upstairs, on the stairs. So I see what you're saying. So why bottom. wouldn't you be able to stop on a scooter? You wouldn't even be able to go on a you scooter. You wouldn't even be able to move on a scooter. Not a razor scooter. I mean it'd move, but it wouldn't be going like Mach three. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to go down a staircase with the force that they're claiming he went down. No, there's no way. There's no way that it was doing this on a scooter. There's no way that this happened the way they said it happened. But I just want to clarify. It couldn't happen if he was racing with his scooter. Right. You're saying like maybe he could be running? He could have been running. He could have... Even if he was leaning over the edge for some reason, that's still a possibility. But what the cops were saying with a scooter, no. In order to hit his head as hard as he hit his head, there had to have been momentum more than just reaching over a staircase and falling. Also, the gap between where the chandelier is and that top railing 
means that he would have had, he been... had to fly like another two feet. Correct. At least yes. to cu- to close that gap to to hit that chandelier and then like kind of bounce off the other rail uh, railing and then kind of land on the on the floor there. He, yeah, he didn't just reach out. No, no, he couldn't have reached out. Yeah. So that makes me think, you can't trip over a dog. You can't be standing on a dog and reaching. Well, the dog wouldn't just stand still either. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, but it happens. Like young kids like mess around with dogs, and they're, you know, just it's just how it works. But there was momentum, so he was running, or he was being chased, or he was playing with somebody. Right, something. Momentum had to play a part in this, but it wasn't a scooter. There's well, no way. What I think too is like okay. Rebecca obviously really cares about her family, and she would want to protect her sister. But, like, her sister was also 13 years old. Could they have been playing a game together? And he was just running away? It's possible. Or was he playing a game with himself? I mean, kids do that all the time. I don't know. It's very hard to say. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that maybe Rebecca was uh, trying to protect, you know... Because the because really she doesn't know what happened because she was in Rebecca was in a bathroom on the first floor. Right. Zena was uh, apparently she had showered and was getting ready on the second floor. The last place Rebecca saw Max was in was on the first floor and then she heard the noise came out and when saw hit, him when he hit the floor. Correct. I'll tell you. I guess I the only thing that I can say is that for this to happen like you said, momentum has to be involved. Yes. But I will say this. It is not from a scooter. There is no way you're moving a scooter on a high pile carpet thick ass like carpet. That. No. So the scooter is completely ruled out to me. Not to say he wasn't playing with the but scooter. But then how did the scooter end up toppling on top of him? Think about it. You're a kid. Oh, I can't use my scooter here. Like you'd pick it up. Maybe you. Maybe he was holding it. And like, running with I mean, it? He could, I mean, he's six years old. He could pick up a small little... Ra- it's, oh, yeah, it's scooter. really... It's it, aluminum. Like, they're very light. So, I mean, he could pick it up. Maybe he was, like, picking Except it up because it like, wasn't Except when they, like, hit you moving. in the head, then they're really freaking heavy. Well, my point is, is that I don't think he was... He wasn't scootering. He wasn't scootering on the top floor. No. Not on carpet like that. I mean, now, since, um, since the accident, the new owners of the house did remove the carpeting... So sometimes you can look pictures, look at pictures, and it'll be hardwood floor, but that's not the way it was set up when the Shack Nyes lived there. It was high pile carpet, and we'll post that picture. Very strange. Yeah. So other things didn't add up either. If the boy wasn't breathing, how did he say the dog's name to Rebecca? Is this something she just completely made up? How come when she was asked what happened, she told Dina and her sister Nina... That he fell from the bedroom. So, and, and the bedroom that Max usually stays in is is right across from, like, the entrance of the staircase. Okay. So, saying she, he, she, she's saying he fell from the bedroom. So, like, maybe he's running out of his bedroom. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. But how could Rebecca say that when she claimed to be in the bathroom when the event took place? Unless someone else told her and they're trying to cover up a story. Like Zena. Right. Why did a doctor tell Dina and Jonah that there were signs of suffocation and the injuries do not add up to the events explained by investigators? But I can write that off, though. 
Because it's one doctor's opinion. I get the suffocation, but the amount of damage done to the boy, because his he's going to have, and we'll, we'll read it here, um, we'll get into it in a little bit, but I understand where they're coming from with, like, the injuries he sustained don't add up to the fact that this was a casual accident tumble down a staircase. Okay. There was either momentum or something happened to him before it took place. Well, I was just you could say two things. We'll stay we'll stick with the boy for a second, right? Mm-hmm. You could say two things here. If if what you're if what they're claiming, right, and what the doctor claimed is true, right? Okay, here we go. Ready? If when a person has let's say I know this is a stretch, but just I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this is my theory. I'm bearing with you. Because this isn't even my theory. This I'm just trying to point something don't worry, out. Don't worry. You're not held down to So it. if you're if you're hurt and you have lungs filling up in uh, water filling up in your lungs, that would, uh, uh, you know, if you die from that, that would be a suffocation because you can't breathe with water in your lungs. Correct. Okay. So that's one. Two, it's possible. That- they don't mean, they don't, that not injuries like that. Like, it looked like he had been physically suffocated. So maybe he was suffocated. Maybe someone tried to suffocate him. The boy ran. They chased after him. And I guess maybe with the momentum of being chased, that person kind of like, I don't want to say flipped them, but well, like... Or he was running away so fast that he did flip. It's possible. So yeah, but anyway, I, I but I, but I he don't like... He went to stop himself with right, the banister. But I don't like how they're saying that the doctor said that because in my opinion, and I'm no expert, but mm-hmm. I feel like only a medical examiner should be the one to make that call. A doctor should not be going up to well, them and, and saying shit like that. I'm glad you said that because Dina is going to want some answers. And she's going to hire a new team to review her son's case. She's going to hire, and they do a nine-month investigation, Dr. Judy Malenik, who's a forensic pathologist, and Dr. Robert Bove, who is an injury biomechanic. So they're going so to he determine, recreates Yeah, like scenes. what happened. Yeah. So, first, let's go over what the autopsy states happened to Max Shacknai. Um, It says that the boy died from the following. A cervical spine contusion due to blunt force trauma of the head and neck, which led to Max being declared brain dead on July 16th. The autopsy summary was that the blunt force trauma of the head and neck suffered on July 11th caused a cervical spine contusion that led to Max going under cardiopulmonary arrest for 25 to 30 minutes from which he was resuscitated however there was brain swelling and tonsillar heronation which um basically just means that he had facial abrasions and contusions and that there was bleeding between his skull and scalp and various skull fractures he also had healing abrasions and contusions on his back arms and legs hmm And Max basically had irreversible damage done to his brain. And this is a little something that's interesting, too. Um, His toxicology report is going to list that he was tested presumptively positive for benzodiazepines, which... Muscle relaxers? Yeah, kind of like... Yeah, like a... a, Painkiller? Muscle relaxer? yeah. Or, Tranquilizer. But also what could be in, in that is like, um, oh my God. <laughs> Xanax? Yeah, yeah, like Xanaxes and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's good. 
Um, but that's weird that that's uh, presumptively positive for a six-year-old. I mean, you wouldn't be given a six-year-old Xanax or anything r- remotely related unless, to it. Unless you're not good with watching children and you want him to calm down. Well, I think the better question is, was Rebecca prescribed anything like that? I don't know. Maybe maybe Jonah was, and she used it. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be prescribed to her. Well, I mean, I, I'm saying it's Rebecca, not... but I mean anyone for that matter. I, I don't know yeah. that. And yeah. it's and it's presumptively positive, so I don't want to assume anything. But also um, know that Rebecca's, Re- Rebecca's toxicology report came back negative for everything. Hmm. So she wasn't on or taking anything. Um, it is presumptively positive, which basically means... There were traces detected, but it has to go out for further testing. But that's the only toxicology reports that I could find on Max's body. But um, so Dina's team is going to do um, a nine-month investigation, like I said. And they're going to conclude that Max Shackney's death was no accident. They say that the fall could not explain several injuries found on Max's face, shoulder, and neck. And I mean, that's, I know it was a hard fall, which means there had to have been momentum. That's a lot of injuries. I know, but you're forgetting that the, that this that kid. That he's only six. This, this kid fell into a chandelier. <laughs> yeah. On the way down. I mean, looking at the picture of the chandelier, but, but I mean. the skull fractures. And so, like, it's hard to see how so much could have went down. And it could all be explained. But the only way for it to be explained is that he had a lot of momentum. Yeah, falling. I mean, look, we we've definitely established that's what we've that. established. But 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 this is this is the two things that I'll, I think that this whole team. I mean, they're experts, right? Yeah. But I feel like this is the thing here, right? The kid is six years old. A a kid has. I mean, I think this is true. A kid when they, their head is bigger than their body. Right. Well, well, that I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, the and doctors. I'm, and I know nothing. Just so you guys know, I'm just smart. Yeah. Oh, so smart. <laughs> um, the doctors determined that. I mean, the people who went into this investigation of this, Max has a low center of gravity. Right. So in no way would he topple over a banister. So even if they're claiming he he was, even if they're claiming he toppled over, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have taken place. Okay. But I'm just trying to explain about the injuries because they're claiming that there's no way by the extent of his injuries. I'm saying that a kid's head is heavier and harder to support, number one. Number two, a a child's skull is very malleable because it's still growing. Well, okay. So I'm trying to say that it would be – I guess I could. I guess you could say he's more injuries prone to that, head injuries. Well, not more prone, but just it would do more damage. Right. That's why you have blood between the the scalp and the skull and all the the fractures because it it's like a, a it's like a, a a baby's skull is like clay. You know it. it you know it's not yeah. fully developed. Well, I will. What they're saying is that yes, Max could have sustained those injuries in the fall down the staircase. One hundred percent. Right. They're not necessarily implying that anything took place prior to the fall down the staircase. What they're saying is Max himself, even if he was running down the hallway, would not have the center of gravity even to fall the way that he would right. have they're had saying, to fall. They're saying for that those he injuries. had to have been assisted in the fall in the process to fall. 
Correct. Or right. he would have been running at a tremendous speed. Okay. I and don't... trying to get away from something. All right. I can is see what that. is what they're saying. Okay. Um, the doctors believe that Max was either being forced over the balcony railing or jumping over the railing in an effort to escape. That was what the doctors concluded. Now, these are trained professionals. Melenik says she agrees with the coroner's finding that Max Shacknai died of blunt force trauma. What I did disagree with, she said, was the manner of death, which I believe was a homicide. The Coronado Police Department spokeswoman said that officials reviewed the findings of this nine-month investigation, and they deemed that it was not enough evidence to reopen the case. Of course not, because that's a stain on the police department. Correct. And that's what that comes down to, which it always does. When a case is when a, when when something happens and the case is started, they need to close them. They don't want all these open cases because it tarnishes their record and their department. You're right. So, um, I'm not saying that their findings was wrong or right, but whether or not it was, they're not going to reopen a case that's considered closed to them because that's a that's a tar- it's tarn it's a, they don't want any tarnishes on their shit. You know, that's like, uh, you know, a football uh, team in their perfect record. Does a perfect record want a, a, a loss? No, of course not. It's the same shit. Right. Especially because, you know, they have a lot of people relying on them. And yeah, I mean, these are also rich people that we're talking about that may not want further investigations done. But Dina and Nina are very vocal yeah. about them thinking that this was a homicide and they... At first, the claim was very anti-Rebecca. Eventually, it's going to change a little bit over time, but the family knows that something happened at that house that nobody knows of. The only two people that were home were Rebecca and Zena. So I, I think it's very complicated. I don't want to say that someone else is responsible for the death of Max Shacknai, but... There is no way that he himself caused that fall down the staircase. So you think someone did this to him? I don't know. See, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck between he was chased, mm-hmm. someone was trying to hurt him and he was chased, or he was running at crazy amounts of speed down the hallway and there was an accident and he tumbled. But every member of his family said that that is not the kind of boy this is. He's not a daredevil. He doesn't run around. He doesn't even really like um, playing sports too much. One aunt is going to say that he doesn't even like jumping on the trampoline without his hand being held. Right. Okay. I, I mean, I don't think this is a boy who does these daredevil things. So you're. So that's what you're going with is that he someone pushed him, or uh, he was running from assisted. someone. You think you okay? Oh, I mean, it could be something completely innocent. They're, pl- I mean, right. I have when I'm babysitting. Um, I hope this doesn't sound irresponsible, but like when I was younger, but you know, you play games with the kids and like you're chasing them around the house, like scare them from around a corner. Like, right? It happens. It could have just been an innocent accident. I think that I think that all the injuries that the kids suffered, I, I think, warrant the accident. Like, I think that like. Based on what happened to him as far as when he fell, right. those injuries do make sense. So I'm not refuting that. I think that Zena was with him pretty pretty much. They were, maybe she was chasing she, him because she wanted the scooter. I, well, and that's why I, he I fell with it. I think maybe they were playing together 
and I think that there was more to it than what she told Rebecca after Rebecca realized what just went down. And maybe there was a slight I want to protect my sister. To protect my sister. So I think that's where I'm at with it is that I'm not going to I'm not refuting injuries or anything like that. I def those things definitely were from the fall, but I think that there's more to be looked at with the young with the younger sister and Rebecca. I think that yeah. maybe they were trying. Uh, Rebecca was trying to protect Zena, and Zena maybe there was more that she wasn't speaking about. Maybe there was more to it. I'm not saying that she's right. like trying to kill a kid, but like no, maybe it, it was, was definitely an like some sort of accident. Yeah. But she didn't want other people to know the truth, so Rebecca kind of covered for it. But then, do you want a 13 year old girl going down for something like that? It's like it's complicated. I'm, I'm just saying that that's where I'm at with it because that's really all I can think of. Yeah, I don't want to keep focusing so much on the fact that if he did do it or momentum this and you know no I, matter what they felt no matter extremely what, extremely guilty yeah no matter what but there's more than what we're being told say that did take place say Zena was kind of responsible for it rebecca wouldn't have killed herself because she would have wanted to stay alive to make sure her sister stayed protected well i think that you know, we don't it just adds well, you everything don't know, adds layers and complications true but you don't know how people respond to things and i think that yeah, she wasn't directly the reason for the kid's death, but because she was the adult at the time of this kid's pretty much death, there is a amount, a certain amount yeah. of guilt that needs to be placed on you uh, that you might, you must feel for not being responsible. So, so our final thing it. for Max is that we don't know what happened, but there was definitely momentum involved. There was definitely. There's foul play involved. Yeah, maybe Somehow. not like there's foul play. But it's not like – it's definitely by accident, but the fact that it's foul play is because they're not coming out and saying all the facts. Right, right. I just feel in my heart that there's something being held back. Right. Well, we're going to about – we're about to get a lot more complicated because now we're going to start talking about Rebecca's death. Um, was it a suicide because she felt so guilty about what happened to Max? Could it have been a suicide? And – What's the Shackney family claiming? Are they claiming that Rebecca was responsible for it? And what does that message on the door even mean? I mean, there's just a lot of questions with Rebecca's death. And we didn't even go over a lot of the weird, bizarre circumstances that surrounded um, the night before her death, who she was speaking to, and um, what was found at the scene. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of wrap this episode up right now. And tomorrow we're going to have the second part of this episode posted on the death of Rebecca. So it'll be a, our first two-parter. Ooh. Yeah. Part dose tomorrow. Right. Yeah, we're going to really... But first, before we go, I just want to thank everyone who's donating on our Patreon page. We can't thank you enough. Um, Lynn Pfeiffer, Dana... Connaughton. I'm sorry if I'm saying your names wrong. Don't mess them up, Kay. Lisa Pincher, Mike Sellis, Kelly Vanderveer, Maria Almeida, Lisa Pincher, Valerie Castro, Steve Meyerson, Kathy Rodnight. We want to thank you guys so much for contributing. It really helps us out more than you know. Um, our listenership has gone up so much, so we can't thank people enough for getting the word out there about us and all those um reviews on itunes you know we appreciate them all the good the bad the ugly we love you all (laughs) we love you all 
Thank you very much, guys. And tomorrow we'll have the our part two, and we'll discuss the circumstances surrounding the death of Rebecca Zahau. Bye, guys. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.